For Cybercrime Radio, I'm Paul John Spaulding. Joining me today is Heather Engel, Managing Partner at Strategic Cyber Partners. This episode is sponsored by BreachLock, a simple and scalable penetration testing service. To learn more, visit breachlock.com. Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Paul. I wanted to talk with you about the BreachLock Penetration Testing Intelligence Report from 2023. This report, which is aggregated data from 3,000 pen tests, is expansive, so we'll only be talking about a few things here. But to start, I wanted to talk about cloud. What jumped out at me most was that MFA was not enabled for the root account 16% of the time. Heather, that is absolutely crazy to me. Maybe break that down a bit for us and any other things you saw in that cloud section of the report. Sure. And I think this is a really important finding because I work with so many clients who make the assumption that just because they're using a cloud service provider, they're automatically more secure. They'll tell me that they're using Microsoft 365 or AWS without really understanding the configurations and the security that needs to be implemented as part of that. Because just like with any software product, your initial cloud implementation generally doesn't have enough security around it. So that said, the data revealed that the risk findings in cloud security, there were 3% critical, 24% high. You mentioned specifically multi-factor authentication not being enabled for the root account. For our listeners that aren't familiar with that, the root account is the account that is pretty much all-powerful. And if you get access to the root account, you can do almost anything within the system, including creating other accounts, moving around. You can blow the whole system away, generally, if you have unfettered access with the root account. Is it frustrating for you to see MFA issues being so high on this list? Because as you say, if somebody does gain access to the root account, well, they have access to everything. It seems like this is almost a back to basic item. It really is. You know, we've been talking about multi-factor authentication specifically in a number of compliance regulations for going on 10 years now. And it's become much more common over the last several years to have multi-factor authentication. We're all familiar with it. You know, if you log into your bank account, if you log into any financial account, really, you have the ability to enable multi-factor authentication on your personal accounts, my Gmail account. And so this is something that is really a basic tenant that provides additional security. It reduces risk that your root account is going to get compromised with a password. So it is frustrating to see this is something that's very simple. And again, when you're getting a penetration test, you really want to lock down these simple things. Don't make it too easy for the penetration testers. And this is definitely a situation where if your root account doesn't have multi-factor authentication, you've made the tester's job much easier. Banking and financial services ranked number two behind computer software and technology on BreachLock's list of the most impacted industries. What do you think makes banks in particular so hard to secure? Well, it's a couple of things. Obviously, banks are where the money is, right? And so they're very attractive targets. They're high profile. They're getting hit all the time. We've seen a lot of regulatory compliance requirements for banks, and that has made a difference. You know, in general, banks have very specific lockdowns and things that they need to do. They also have a lot of reporting requirements. When you start to look at smaller banks, credit unions, these are still organizations that are handling money in a pretty significant way, but very often they don't have the same requirements, particularly credit unions. And so they handle vast amounts of financial data, personally identifiable information. So they're a very attractive target. When it comes to banks, how highly do you consider phishing as an attack vector? Because as you say, they're collecting a lot of personal information. And if somebody gains access just through smooth talking, going into the bank itself, 
getting access to a computer. I mean, for me, phishing would seem to be an important vector to consider if you're securing a bank. But what do you think? Yeah, phishing absolutely is a very important vector to consider. One of the things that we see, and we talked about this earlier, is multi-factor authentication is always going to be an option when you are logging into a financial institution, or it should be. And if it's not, you should be switching banks. Financial institutions are constantly leveraging new applications and infrastructure. You know, we've seen attacks on some of these APIs or integrations that are designed to allow you to send money to friends and family without having to leave the banking environment. And so obviously, you know, with multi-factor authentication and some of these other things, you can do more to protect yourself against a phishing email. But, you know, obviously phishing is a big problem. We see phishing emails and attack vectors get better and better every day. So this is a huge problem for sure. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Samad Sagal is a founder and CEO at BreachLock, the global leader in pen testing as a service. BreachLock is disrupting the traditional pen testing space, which is a consultant-driven business model by introducing a SaaS-based model, which is more relevant to the modern IT businesses. What we do is we use the power of automation, artificial intelligence, and the creativity of human hackers to give CISOs a hacker's perspective on their full-stack IT landscape. To learn more about our sponsor, BreachLock, visit breachlock.com. And now, back to the podcast. Heather, the digital supply chain ranks number one in BreachLock's eyes. What stood out to you reading that portion of the report? Yeah, this portion of the report talks about computer software and technology. So when we think of the digital supply chain, think of all the applications and tools that you use even in your personal life, and then expand that out to imagine what companies are using. The digital supply chain, similar to cloud services, it doesn't always come configured as securely as we would like it to. And so what we really want to start to see is more secure software design. You know, when I first was taking some programming courses, I didn't really learn a lot about secure coding. And so that's something that should be inherent in every programmer's arsenal. There should be some background in how to avoid some of the risks like security misconfiguration, your programmers and your software developers as part of that digital supply chain. Ideally, the companies that you're working with, you want to make sure that they have cryptography in place, you know, to varying degrees, making sure that the access control, that was one of the findings in the report, was security misconfigurations and broken access control. Really understanding what some of these risks look like and testing for it So what we're looking at is when we're thinking about securing the digital supply chain, which includes software, we want to make sure that we're working with companies that really try to do a good job out of the box. And not only that, that they provide both consumers and companies guidelines on how to further secure the product besides just what you get out of the box. Or if you're talking about a cloud product, besides what you get when you initially log in. Heather, I wanted to ask you in general, do you have any advice for companies? Because I know you consult a lot, you're out there, you have your finger on the pulse, you're going to conferences, you're engaging with people. And I feel like for me, let's say, for example, I was a home security advisor and somebody always had their window open. I would always go to the window of the next house and say, hey, look, you've got your window open too. That's an easy fix you can make. Are you seeing something like that, the open window equivalent in security? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we work with different clients across industries, one of the biggest problems that we find is configuration management. So companies have workstations out there. Sometimes they have servers. 
They don't know what software is on those servers. You know, they're not sure what ports and protocols are being used for communications. Maybe they're not diligent or thorough in applying security patches and updates. And those are things that are easy, easy wins for companies. And, you know, penetration testing companies would tell you those are very often the first attack vectors that they'll try. They'll look for a patch that hasn't been applied or a security update that isn't in place. We've talked a little bit about multi-factor authentication. So access control is another big one. If you have not implemented multi-factor authentication across your organization, that should be really high on your to-do list because of what we talked about earlier with phishing emails getting so much better to the point that even security professionals can find themselves questioning what they're seeing. So I think those two things are really easy wins. And my final bit of guidance would be that if you are going to have a penetration test done, make sure that you're sewing up all of these open vulnerabilities and you're really taking a hard look at overall what you're doing on your network. Don't make it too easy for the testers. Well, for anybody interested, you can Google Breach Lock Penetration Testing Intelligence Report 2023 and check this out more in depth. Obviously, we only covered a few things here. But Heather, I did want to ask you one final question about AI, because I have a feeling as we get more research on breaches and pen tests and ways attackers are getting into companies, AI is going to keep rising on the list of concerns. How concerned are you about AI? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. And I was recently at a conference where there was a lot of discussion about AI. And I think what companies don't realize is there's two facets to it. So if you're going to use AI in your organization, how are you securing it, right? You want to make sure that the servers that you're using or the AI that you're using is hosted on-prem, that you're not putting your data out to train AI in the larger world, right? You want that to be held in-house. But then we also, from the security perspective, look at how can AI be used both for good and for evil, so to speak, right? How can we use AI to help us understand what we might do better within our organization? You know, automated pen testing, some things like that. Even automating some of our processes. One of the things that many of my clients have to do is they have to go through and look for outdated accounts. You can use an AI process to do that. We want to also consider what are our adversaries doing with AI? AI makes it a lot easier to find some of those vulnerabilities that I mentioned earlier. For example, if you have a server that is externally facing and you haven't applied patches to it, AI is going to find that pretty quickly. And so there's a lot of things to think about. And there's a lot of ways that I think AI is going to make securing your infrastructure more difficult. But there are also a lot of benefits if it's used correctly. Heather, I really appreciate you coming on and joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. For Cybercrime Radio, I'm Paul John Spaulding. This episode is sponsored by BreachLock, a simple and scalable penetration testing service. To learn more, visit BreachLock.com. To follow all of our media, go to CybercrimeMagazine.com.